Perception is everything. Each and every one of us perceive things uniquely. The simplest metaphor that I think could be used would be a movie theater packed with people. Everyone in that dark room will see the exact same thing, yet every mind will see, feel, understand, and remember it differently. This is no different from the reality that surrounds all of us, and certainly no different from the experience we had atop Glenville Gorge. Before we close out this series on the Brown Mountain Lights next week with another dive into the history of the mystery, we're going to take one more dive back into the multiple perceptions of what we experienced with the dancing light apparitions. And so, back to the mountains we go. Welcome to XV Planets. Hello, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planets. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood. Tonight we're going to take one last look at the events of October 21st and 22nd, 2021. But before we dive into that, a few quick updates. The XV Planets investigative team will be in Louisville, Kentucky, March 12th through the 14th. The evening of the 13th, we will be at Waverly Hills for an overnight lockdown. But the rest of the time, we will be looking into other places in the area to possibly explore while we have the chance. So suggestions are welcome, especially any haunted bars for this guy. And if you're a fan of in, in, in the area, come on out and have a pint with us. Second, I am looking for local CE5 groups in Arkansas or nearby. We are potentially making a trip to Devil's Den to attempt a session shortly after we do Waverly. So if you or anyone in the area is knowledgeable and interested, drop us a line at xvplanus at gmail.com. I have some other announcements to make, but I'll do that as we close this episode out. For now, let's turn our attention back to the lights and the team who joined me on that journey. Ralph Miller is a close friend and one of the first to become a member of the XV Planus investigative family. He is the owner of Rusty Knuckles, a record label that focuses on metal, outlaw country, and genres that fuse those two together. It also functions as his shop for leather and metal works, as well as designing, of which I can say firsthand is true quality work. I'll have a link in the show notes so you all can go check it out yourselves, which I highly encourage. He's one of the most interesting, genuine, good people I've met since moving here to North Carolina, and was the first to jump on board for the trips to see the Brown Mountain Lights. Also, on a fun side note, his wife, Beth, you all know as my co-host for the Twin Geeks series. So yeah, that whole family is part of this family. Last week, I had Ralph in the studio to discuss the trip and get his opinion and point of view about what we witnessed. Now, I'll admit this gets a little bit choppy, as we also invited our good friend Bourbon with us that evening, <laughs> as Ralph and Flood are prone to do. So please forgive any editing mishaps for there are a few points where I went off the rails and kind of had to remove some bits here and there. Afterwards, I'm going to discuss briefly about my own thoughts and feelings about what happened to us those two nights. Then we will return next week to wrap up this series with special guest Micah Hanks of the Micah Hanks program, effectively ending season one of XV Planets. Now, speaking of Micah Hanks, I encourage you all to go listen to his episode on the Brown Mountain Lights before next week's episode airs. I'll be sure to add a link in the show notes. Now, pour yourself a glass of bourbon, or whatever your poison is, and come pull up a chair with us. And please welcome Ralph to the show.
and we're going to take a moment to properly cheers ah, each other. Cheers to you, Ralph. Cilantro to you, John. Cilantro. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Ralph is a good friend of mine, and I don't want to give a uh, dissociative uh, introduction. So, Ralph, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, just, uh, always been a fan of the paranormal, um, been, have experienced things my whole life. So I've had a keen interest in learning and experience as much as I can. So I'm happy to, that John's invited me to join him on a couple of these expeditions. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to more. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what what were like the, uh, what were the first experiences that you had? Um, I would say the first major, well, I started encountering a lot of things when I was a teenager, um, would see evidence of things. And it's weird to say it that way, but I, where I grew up is where, like where the, a lot of the underground railroads started on the Maryland, Virginia border on the Eastern shore. And, oh, man. Uh, so there's a lot of old history. There's a lot of old energy. And so we started encountering a lot of kind of a cult activity and me being a, um, rambunctious kid with too much energy i was fascinated by all of it and a metalhead punker so so i started seeing things and then then i had a major major experience where it lasted for about 30 seconds of this entity and uh it took it lasted so long that it just it feels surreal and it just feels like i was in a time slip of sorts and from then just the doors opened up because then it's like okay I see you, you see me. It's wide open. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you around this time? 17. That was May of 1992. Okay. I can't forget the day because of how it all went down um, and the location as well. But the precursor to all this, and I think the reason why I'm open uh, to a lot of it is because I had open heart surgeries at five and six. And on the second surgery, I had my chest wide open right. for 45 minutes. I was basically dead where that the heart was operating by machines but not by my body as they were working on it so i woke up middle surgery at that time as well so i think maybe i stepped into i stepped through maybe i was on the brink maybe i was close to the edge of passing over at the very least on the side yeah and so that surgery from that i mean i'm lucky to be alive to still be here because they they only gave me to a late teenager to actually live if i didn't have the surgery so i think with that surgery, I kind of became open to the other side a bit. Well, I can categorically say that your uh, your doctor's estimates for your uh, longevity are sorely underrated because, motherfucker, you're not going anywhere until I say so. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's also how we live. We you know we can take care of ourselves with health and you know wanting to live and wanting to achieve. So I chose yeah. to get more out of life than let life tell me what to do. So there's a, a very specific reason that I asked you to come on to the show and talk about your experiences. Something in particular that you tapped into that uh, shook me. I don't want to say shook me, but got to me personally. Mm-hmm. Is you started to talk about how you saw the woods around you. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, th- um, I, I kind of see where it, 
let's just say it the way a lot of people have already said it to the terminology makes sense to most. It's all visual to me. It's almost like the veil's thin. In that sense, if I were to describe it visually, look at it like raindrops coming down a window as they streak. Look at it as if in the matrix you're looking at that code trickle down the screens. Even a mirage. A mirage, a perfect example. Yeah. Like okay. a, a hood, a car hood on a hot summer day or a road where you see that trickling, the flickering of energy in a way, not energy, but you're seeing things dissipate. Mm-hmm. That's what I see every day. I see it in the woods. I see it I see it around me. I see different things. But to me, it just feels like it's an energy source that you're looking at. See, I knew that about you because you had been pretty open to me about mm-hmm. that um, in our, our previous conversations. But when we went to Brown Mountain in particular. It was thick. And that was new to me. Like you you were having these moments where you were staring off into the forest, just going waves. Everything is waving. Everything is breathing and moving. Yeah. It it definitely feels like a, if I, if I say or describe as a palpable energy source, you sound like I'm crazy. But when I see it this way or what I'm looking at and it looks Dude, on this like podcast, moving. anything but crazy, you're yeah. good. And it's, <laughs> you, you already have to take that leap. And if you've already taken the leap to say, okay, I believe in something more. Not even, I don't even have to believe it. I've seen it. I've seen plenty of stuff. I see, I, I see dead people. Um, I don't see more of that. I see more energy waves. I see more energy forms than anything else is what I've been lucky to. Work. I've seen, yeah, I've seen three solid ghosts, but I've also been interacted with quite, I've had a beer stein thrown at me. Uh, we're shooting a video not far from Brown Mountain, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, had boots walking down in Tombstone, Arizona, walking down the sidewalk here, but there's no visuals. It's just sounds. Yeah, I saw a guy walk through my backyard one day. It was only the torso. But then that guy who I met, basically the, the Slender Man. When I, met, when I met him, he changed my world because it was just like I'm watching a movie happen in front of me. And the guy, it was in black and white. There was no... This is the first time I ever t- really told like on a story. I have a couple podcasts want me to call in and tell the story, but oh, here you go, John. I'll give you the whole story. So, so long as you're comfy with it, brother, the mic is yours. Well, the best part is I wasn't alone, so that's the even more satisfying part. So yeah. I had my buddy I grew up with was with me, and uh, but for s- historical context, it's in this swampy area in Maryland where Underground Railroad kind of came through there and uh, Eastern Shore. Big it's called the Pocomoke Swamp, real. Real eerie areas, a lot of energy there. We've had a lot of things happen there that you can't explain. A lot of people disappear there, let's just say. A lot of bodies end up. In that and that particular, that particular location speaks to you a lot personally, right? Yeah, my family's been there since 1640. Yeah. So we're old in that area. And if people don't know your last name or your accent, they don't like you. It's very territorial. <laughs> Sounds like when I grew up in Louisiana. It's like any country area. Like if, uh, if people know your last name or they know how you talk in a certain way you're accepted but if they don't hear you talk that way or you are not from there you shouldn't they don't want you there and so it's a very it's a very regional anywhere you go is like that but it's very regional yeah Uh, but we're also very protective of that area too just because it's it's home um anyway to the story of this guy so i've been having experiences out there i was fascinated i think that energy drew me to it so to speak and this area, there would always be a lot of occult ceremonies out there. I got, I would always be that kid. And I would get warnings from like the DNR police, like, "Hey, 
you need to stay out of here at night. There's some other problems going on. A lot of people digging up graves. A lot of people digging up different areas. Satan, Satan, Satan. Well, I think that's what a lot of people claim to be, or just different occult groups. They could be witches. They could be pagans. You know, who knows? But, well, uh, I'm I'm guessing around your time frame, it would probably line up perfectly with the whole satanic panic. Yeah. I guess you say early 90s. You know, 90 yep. or 93, somewhere around yeah, that one. Absolutely. Back when I was driving and could go out there. and But enough weirdness happened that it happened so much in a five-mile square area that they're like, okay, how much more shit can happen here? Um, but anyway, so the story of the dude. So we're in this graveyard where by the the gravestones in the graveyard had been dug up so much, people digging up bones, stealing bones, and having ceremonies out there with the cult groups that they actually had to move the church out of the graveyard because it was getting broken into so much. There was a crazy, um, I never heard, I heard always third, third, uh, third person from it, but one of the big, um, legends, so to speak was there was a Bible that couldn't be taken out of the church. So everybody wanted to go and steal the Bible from the fucking church. Who knows? It's a country ass church. So it's just out in the sticks and that was the legend. And now it's now that church is actually that place down the road called the Iron Furnace. It's where they smelted iron in the 1700s. And that place is all another haunted place out there. Uh, famously haunted by one of the guys who used to work on the property. But they moved the church down there, which is about probably five or six miles away. Seems like a great weekend getaway. Great, but it also be a lot of weird folks out there, too, so... Around the corner from there is another place that used to be a hanging tree. And that's where not a lot of all the ceremonies used to be for these occult groups. Really? And miraculously, the hanging tree got hit by lightning and split in half. So, go figure. Um, so, this this whole area has got a lot of energy of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I keep getting getting drawn off track, Yonder. Well, let me tell you about this, the guy. So, how this all, my whole world changed to what I, what I saw. Me and Tony, Tony Webster, if you ever listen to this, I'll send it to you. You were there, too. Um, so there's a corner, there's a big elbow turn corner and out of the blue or out, out of the, my peripheral vision, cause I used to, I grew up hunting. So I always, I see more than I hear. I, my, my vision is, that's my superpowers, my vision, not my hearing and more sense of smell, but my, my sight. Which I can vouch for. Like I, I've been on numerous haunts with you and your eyes are pristine. You so. look for what shouldn't be there is that's mm-hmm. how you hunt. And that's how you stalk in the woods. Like if I'm deer hunting or doing something like that, I'm looking for what shouldn't be there. And so it's almost like a detective looking for the clues, but he's already, he doesn't, he's looking for the motive, but he's got to find the clues to figure out what's going on. Hmm. It's the same way, like say if you're going out in old places, just being careful and safety because out in the country, everybody's caring and a lot of people are crazy and you could be stumbling onto a drug farm. So you never know what you're walking into when it's out in the woods and especially the swamp. Um, so, and that's just part of our, you know, our collective being yeah. in that area. Because there's a lot of outlaws in those, in those areas. And outlaws are a sense of, you know, people that just live off the land and people that live on their own terms. And we have a lot of those. There, there are people. Um, but that's just. Which makes even more sense the further we drive up Brown Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. We ran, ran to an interesting guy from Jersey plates there. Um, looked like he was episode of Sopranos going wrong. Where's my banjo? <laughs> that guy wouldn't have a banjo. He's going to have track shoes on and track suit and probably dumping a body. Um, but so I, my peripheral vision, I just see this old kind of like Model T car coming down the road and coming towards us. Just like, that's kind of weird, but not weird. A vintage car. People drive around. It The car pulls up. Old man, black three-piece suit, black top hat, gets out of the car, 
adjusts his collar, stares at us, stares at us for about 10 to 15 seconds, gets back in the car, drives away, staring at us. And then here's the crazy part about it. There's no sound and it's all in black and white. He's in black and white, there's, but there's, and there's no sound at all. Those old cars have rattles, noises, bangs, what have you. And this is all going on. And then so as he pulls away, we are looking at it and thinking, okay, let's go follow this dude because that's a cool-ass car. And that was kind of weird, his hollowed-out eyes. But we know that when he goes towards Snow Hill, this next town over, it's about four miles until the next road. So when we go follow him, there's no car. And that car ain't but so fast. And it was all in black and white. It lasts about 30 seconds. It's a confrontation. It's almost like, I see you, you see me. So so let's let's backtrack for a second to the uh the the mystery man that you that you just mentioned. You know, the one the one that we saw. With the jersey plates. In the fucking BMW. You know exactly what I'm talking Champagne about. Champagne colored I BMW. I love it. Yes, absolutely. I waved to him. You yes, you did. But there was something weird about that. One, drugs, or he was lost as hell and scared. Or three, what if the dude was up to no good? Me and Shane were about to fucking load pistols up and yeah, be ready for him. Yeah, yeah. Don't shoot the fucking ghost. I'm country, man. I- <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot the fucking ghost. No, but that guy in the jersey plate, so I, I saw that a lot at home. Have you not learned anything from your neighbors? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, one neighbors. Uh, another whole story. All right. No, the guy, the, guy was, the guy was up to something, and I would say that he was... He was up uh, to no, shady as shit, absolutely. Shady as shit, or yeah. he was fucked up on something. I don't know. Well, 100%. Because that car should not have even been on those National Forest roads. For our listeners, I will definitely scale that back and say that um, we were actually on our way up to Wiseman's view for the parking prospect of that in order to park and then hike out to the the proper viewing area. Yeah. Wiseman's view, if you will. But on our way up there... We crossed paths with a batshit crazy guy in it. Was it a BMW? I think it was a Mercedes Benz. I th- it was either a Mercedes champagne color. It was a fucking Benz. I swear to God it was a Benz. It was one of the two. I, didn't, was, I was looking at the plates first of all, and then I was looking at the driver. It looked like Christopher from Sopranos, basically. What's his name? Christopher Imperioli. <laughs> He had that just no, no, short. No, 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 he did not look that good. Come on. No, but he had the, the hair, the size, the, the the look, and just that wild eye look. Because when I waved to him, I looked at him eye to eye. I was like, man, I'm looking at this dude man to man. And I'm like, I pistoled my pocket. I'm like, all right, we're cocking this shit. We're going to get out and we're going we're gonna to have words or what's going to happen. Because he was running up on us, then drifting back, running up on us and drifting back on a national forest road that ain't so damn smooth. God. So I'm not. I'm, yeah. But anyway, people like that, you just, something was up with him. Don't know whether he was all fucked up or what was going on, or he was just batshit crazy lost. I don't know. But New Jersey plates and North Carolina mountains, he, he was a little off track. It's kind of frightening to think that we were probably the most sane people on the mountain that night. Well, that's a bunch of hikers and other people and oh. people looking for the uh, Brown Mountain experience. <laughs> and... That's he, he a was, good he segue, was actually. But, but guys like that, I've encountered quite a few of those people out in the country. 
and they're usually lost or two, they're doing something they're not supposed to be there. Like I had this other experience one time, had this intuition mm. and I felt this cold air blow through me out in the swamps and we're like, well, okay, something's happened. Something was, was a warning sign from some entity. It was a scream through the woods, a scream, a cold air and blew right through my, me and my buddy Niels or a chest. And we dropped to the ground, like blew our hats off. It was that quick. It was, this was also like a warm summer day. And uh, out of the blue. Straight off. Huh? Yeah. And here's the, here's the, the the weird coincidence and why I acted the way I did towards, you know, the the New Jersey plates is I looked to my left across this sand pit. There's a Chrysler New Yorker with New York plates and tinted windows pulling in to this sand pit in the middle of Pokemon Swamp Forest. So that was when my spider sense was like, hey, something's up. So we crawled on our stomachs out around this area to get back to my buddy Neil's car. He got the fuck out of there. Were they dumping bodies? Were they something going on? I don't know, but we weren't going to find out. Well, you should have just wrapped yourselves in saran wrap. No, nah, that's for crazy folks. We always had guns. <laughs> I'm right here. You don't have to talk about me like that, buddy. Like, really. No, it's just, it's, there's a lot of things that would happen. When you get rural areas, you get things happen. Like, there's people start showing up and people think they can get away with stuff. So I just was kind of used to that growing up. So shit gets weird. Yeah. It does. Now, that being said... But the intuition aspects of that was interesting. <laughs> right, right. But uh, So the thing that I really want to dig into with you about is, um, you know, the fact that we all went to Brown Mountain. Uh, we all had a collective uh, experience, but each one of us being individuals, we all see it, experience, and view it from, from different angles. And that's kind of what I wanted to dig into you with about was let's let's I want to talk about your perception, um, the way that you experienced it, the way that you you perceived it, and what your thoughts and takeaways about what we experienced was. Experience, well, everyone comes from it from different backgrounds, no matter what you do. Exactly, everyone's yeah. got a different story or a different notion that, or maybe a different so spin they're already going to put on it without even fucking talking it up. What is your opinion about what we experience on Brown Mountain? And and take it night by night. So go night one, then we'll go night two. Experience in trying to understand what we saw or experience in me just. Your, your personal perception and takeaway of the whole experience. If I hadn't been predispositioned to have all these other, you know, experience with phenomenon. I would say I wouldn't know how to describe it, but I, I think I've come to the conclusion and I've come to the mindset that there's just energy. It's magic. I mean, it, it, it's easy to say, oh, I like using the term magic because magic kind of elevates the per, elevates it in a certain way. That's more comfortable to me than UFOs. Yeah. Well, UFOs, it, that I mean, that could be us in the future. That could be whatever. But uh, I like the idea of believing in magic because... Ultimately, what it says is that there's just this energy that has a life of its own. And, you know, you don't magic in the sense of street magic. So David Blaine's style magic, something totally different. That's trickery of the hand and eye. But this is, this is an energy. Buddy, I got card tricks for you for days. This, <laughs> this reminds me of the stories. If I'm, if I'm saying this correctly, is it when the Maya, I think it was the Mayans rather than the Aztecs. When the Mayans first saw Cortez, who they learned to be Cortez coming in, but they had predictions i guess about what seeing a, a red red bearded man in silver uh, and i'm 
totally butchering this and I'm not reading the exact historical account, but they knew something was going to be the end of their magic civilization. Of yeah, magic of editing. Um, but the whole notion that there was something that they predicted, but it was beyond their current known knowledge overall. I think that what we were seeing is something that we may know about in the future, but we don't have an understanding of what it is now. And because it's an energy source and it's an energy source because we saw it morph. We saw it change. We saw it change light. We saw it change direction. We saw it become multiple um, spheres. We saw all these things happen over a three hour period. And so I like the idea of not trying to classify it and just say it's magic. We're just looking at something magical happen that is beyond our realm of understanding right now. Love that you say that uh, because me personally, and and you know me, I, I'm fucking diehard into all this shit. I, I dive in head first into the weirdest of the weird. Um, I I have no explanations. That's the best. That's the best. Thing there ever. is something truly beautiful that we experience that I have. No frame of reference for ghost makes sense. A ghost we can we can objectify and understand visually what we're seeing with the idea of an entity. Okay, it's a former human spirit. What I what I really what I focused in on and what I what I gazed at. I was watching the light go from an orange ball, and it was reverse. And how it, so you would think with gravity, you watch something melt. Like when you watch glass melt, it drops down with gravity. This dripped up in the sky. So it went from orange to white to green to purple and then dripped back down. So it, it almost like it extruded, almost it looked like glass. Holy okay. shit. You just actually nailed the phrase that I've been looking for for the last four months. What's that? Dripped up up it looked like it looked like glass when you, i was watching that glass show that blown away that was on netflix and watching how when the glass gets hot a bulb of glass would come down and drip and say they were making drip shards that would come down this did it in reverse it dripped north to the sky it dripped yeah. to the heavens and when it did i watched this one in particular it went from the ball the main ball of light was orange it was a sphere and it went from orange to white to green to purple so it was all Secondary colors, which was the funny part. There was no, when we think about computer screens, red, green, blue, like these big, bright colors. All these colors were orange, green, and purple, and white. And so white, you know, having no color at all, but why were they all secondary colors? You know, only. So, think about a flame. A flame. The hottest part of a flame is bluish white. There's no fucking way that was a flame. No, I, I, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm refuting right here. Is yeah. I'm looking at it in this sense because the second night when all the fucktards are up there and they're trying, oh, brown mountain lights. And doing, we right. watched flames flickering. Completely so just, it reminded me of living, growing up on the ocean where fog is so thick coming in and you, can, you could feel the fog, you could feel the mist, you could feel the, the moisture in the air. <laughs> and then it with a fucking butter knife. Yeah. yeah. So we were, we look, we're looking out 20 yards is all we could see. And then the and the fog would cut from the bottom of the valley up, and it was thick. <laughs> it was so damn thick, and even shining like a light across it couldn't even pierce the whole way across to the other other side of the valley. Yeah. But those lights pierced the fog. That's the crazy part. Okay. All right. So 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 let's 
digging into that for a second. And all multiple right? lights. We're looking in through also a, a spotting scope for night vision. Yes. For hunting. All right. Well, well so, I mean, even then, you you have five people standing in on top of the stonewalled overlook that overlooks the stunning Linville Gorge, but we didn't even understand how beautiful it was or for that matter, how vast it was. We didn't know how beautiful it was till the next day because all we saw was fog. We did not understand depth perception. <laughs> the next the day, next it was day. almost like, wow, this is the most picturesque place. The depth perception of us understanding what we saw and how it moved from side to side is fucking mind numbing. My favorite me. aspect. Still to this day. Like, even now, I'm trying so hard not to punch this microphone. Out of how excited and frustrated I am. What, what really got me is a guy that likes to debunk this stuff and just try to look at it rationally. Okay, did I see that? Did this really happen? I just want to make sure that I'm not lying to myself about what, what I was interpreting. But what I liked a lot was the fact, okay, first, if it was a fire, it would have had energy, it would have had oxygen, it had been flickering. This was a... Looked like a light bulb it that was, was on constant, and it lit the whole woods up around it. It was above the tree, so the orange, the orange hue, when it was, it was almost if you want to say the mother ship or the mother. Yeah, we'd see it reflect off of the trees. The trees turned orange around. Yes, it. and so Thank that's you. how big it was. And so if it was, if we had to put a sphere up, say what whatever type of tree that is out there, it had to have been five or ten feet around or bigger, because um, we could the size that we could see it from the distance. From one mountain peak to the other side. But the energy was what's interesting about it because it was, you knew that from looking at energy, it had intelligence. You're watching things come and like the smaller orbs and spheres that would fly off of it were almost like satellites shooting out and moving around. But the mother orb was stayed in one spot and she would slightly move around and other ones would fly off out of it and it would morph and come right back into it. So it's... I don't, I, this is where I'm just, it's magic. Like okay. It's something, it's beyond our comprehension and it's not magic with a, with a K. And so we're not conjuring shit. This was an experience that is beyond what we understand currently. And that's it. If you try to describe it or try to categorize it, fuck you. Know, you. Actually, I'll really agree with that. And and you know me, I'm, I'm a fucking nut when well, it comes well, to magic to with it. a K. Yeah. But I can flat out tell you, no, that is not magic with this a K. This was something... Different and, it, and here's the crazy part: it is a hybrid of a natural experience with something that lies just beyond the periphery. This is not also our understanding of reality, and this isn't exclusive to Brown Mountain. I've looked it up, and I've seen other places with similar events yeah, that happen. Don't, well, don't just in general, though, after experiencing the Brown Mountain phenomenon. I've went and looked it up, and I've seen other places. I've visually seen the footage that these people showed. Same exact thing. Same exact light. Same exact energy emittance. Mango lights. Well, there's one off California coast where they were watching from the Redwood Forest. They were over the ocean. Um, and the guy had video footage of it. And it was the exact same scenarios. Shit, I guess we're going to Cali. Got a bail, folks. <laughs> Well, good, but it, but it was amazing to see that it's not. It, I, I've something like that is not unique. It's not just one place. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. So, if it exists in one place, why can't it exist somewhere else? You right. know, if we are if we are 
beings of energy, if we are carbon formed beings of light, so to speak, if we are beings that, you know, are transponders that move on after, you know, after we die, what is that energy? What does that become? To me, this seems to be pretty damn plausible that this was something beyond our understanding. That's why I want to call it magic. We just don't know what it is yet. It's a conjuring of something that we just don't know. My understanding is it's it's something that we don't understand just yet, and maybe that's something that we become. Maybe we become or understand more of this knowledge. Maybe we become or understand more of what that phenomenon is. It's too hard to classify because you can't. You're looking at it, and what you're seeing happen does not make sense in a rational mindset. Well, it's certainly not easy for you and I to classify it because we both understand that you know, the nature of reality is uh, thin at best. Well, the whole mountain area is thin. Like everywhere on that mountain, the veil felt thin. I experience this stuff a lot. I experience it most every day. So to me, it's, but there seemed more active. Like Brown Mountain felt as if the mountain had its own energy. Um, and you felt that pretty much the whole time you were soon as, there. As soon as, we, as soon as we stopped to set up camp, yeah. Um, I get that a lot of places. And for anybody that I'm sure some people listening to this may have experienced that or heard about it, for me, energy will happen. It's almost, if you can go look at an old light bulb, you know, when you walk into a room and you can look at an old light bulb, you see that coal and you, and you hear it, mm-hmm. you hear that coal moving. Sometimes it'll happen in my ear where I walk into a room that's got energy um, and I'll hear that in my ear. And it'll be like a pop and I'll hear the, like the, the thickness of the energy. And then the other thing will happen. It's almost it, to me, what, uh, what I equate it to is I grew up in mid Atlantic, Eastern shore, Maryland, Virginia. We got dense humidity between the Bay and the ocean. And so I, I feel microclimates. I feel them. You know, you feel the energy or like changing or storms coming off the ocean or the bay. Yeah. And there, and in, there's one place I felt the climate would change. I would hear a pop in my ear. It's not elevation wise. It's only what, 3,000 feet up, if that, 2,500 or so. But you would feel the, the, the air temperature, the air, like humidity. I would feel the change. It would pop. And then I would see all these visual things. And for me, it becomes that much of an energy source. And so what I was doing, I'd go walk through the woods by the campsite and just try to change my vantage point where I was looking down the valley, trying to change what I see, just making sure that what I'm seeing is like, okay, I'm validating what I'm looking at. I'm sure I'm trying, I'm trying to describe it so people listen to this will make sense. But it looks like you're looking at what you think is you're seeing is crisp. And then all of a sudden, all it'll get staticky. Like I'll see like a wall of static move down the side of a tree or a wall of static move down through the sky. And so to me, it just looks like I'm looking through layers. I'm l- like, if you're using Photoshop, you turn opacity down and I'm looking through different layers. That's what I'm seeing. I'm ha- it's, it's happening in the air and the sky and stuff in front of me. And to me, so that's why I'm, I'm trying to equate it to an energy source. Cause it feels like, it feels like an energy grid is moving around and I, and I can mm. feel the energy. I can feel the electricity in that. Like I can walk into a house and tell if a TV's on, I can tell if a stereo is on with no sound. I hear the electricity. And so to me, that's the, the part that that's when I can clue in and I can understand. And a lot of times when I hear that electricity turn on, that's when experiences happen. Buddy, you and I have a lot to talk about. 
But you know, some, a lot of people, like my wife, for example, ne- none of this. She ne- never. She finally experienced something with me in Tombstone, Arizona, when she heard the boots walking down the boardwalk. Oh, he told me, about but that. she really fucking with her head. But but she's also nervous about that stuff. Like I realize, like okay, I know you're there. I know that shit's out there. It doesn't bother me. I've I've only encountered some weird heavy energy a couple times. But I'm also accepting of it and say, I'm not worried about you. Like, I'm a strong-willed individual. You're not going to mess with me. So I don't give up my power or my energy to be taken away. But we have to think about this as literally an energy source. And energy, it's matter. It's, it's, it's out there. Can you see solar waves? Can you feel energy from outer space? No. You feel it in sun, feel it in summer? Not yet. Yeah. But if you think about stuff like that and you say, okay, I accept it. I know it's there. It's magic. It's out there in the ether. But you can accept that there's a lot going on that you can't perceive, but your your senses perceive it. And I think we've lost a lot of that intuition through modern technology. I think we've lost a lot of that because this modern society, we're told is we, we shouldn't interpret this or we shouldn't think about it. We, tr- we don't trust our spotty sense anymore. People forgot about their own intuitions. Hmm. Like, wh- how many times you go into a place like, man, this place doesn't feel right? Oh, I'll, too many times to count. Exactly. So I do that all the time. I've got, I go into places where it doesn't feel right. And I just push the boundaries. But we, but th- that intuition is what we have from hunters and gatherers where we're surviving. We're surviving off the land. We're learning how to. So we trusted our instincts. We trusted our gut. And people nowadays don't even think about that stuff. You go into the woods. You go into a national forest like that. The place is alive. You know, there's animals. I mean, there are bears. There's, t- there's, there, there's bears. There's mountain lions. There's bobcats. There's all kinds of shit. Well, I tend to pull that energy out because I'm open to it. I'm almost like a beacon. So wherever I am, like, well, the second night when, you know, when we had that voice come on to the phone. So the second night is when, so let's, let's also reference it. The first night was a Thursday night. So we only encountered three other people up there total along with us five. So the three other people, one was a professor from Appalachian state and he had two students with him, and they were fantastic. He was a professor. They were amazing. Professor I of what, folklore. so much I would have picked up his fucking name. I really want to talk to that Real guy. Real nice guy. Yeah. He, he taught local history. So a lot of folklore, a lot of stuff. And so the students were up there. Oh, he was all into it. Yeah. And he had been up there many times. Well, he'd been going up there, what, 25 years or more, 30 years? He was great. I talked to him for a little while off the side when you guys were all, I think you were doing the Estes session. Yeah, we caught most of it. Oh, <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. Ralph's always talking to somebody. I can't help it, man. It's the way my people are. We're fucking. Are you kidding? I wouldn't have given that up for anything. It was great. It was fucking we, we don't We don't know strangers. We just know people we don't like. Are you kidding? I want any weird city that I go to, I want Ralph by my side because, you know, I'm going to be okay. I, I, I get it right straight from my dad, man. Well, you just, you, you man, get more bees with honey. And uh, you just, you'll always be some kind of people I'll meet and just end up chatting with. But he was a really nice guy. And the two students they had with him, one was actually in graphic design. So then I uh, talked to her for a little bit because I, you know, I, that's my background as well. And uh, they were just good. They were good people. There was good energy about them. They were there for the right reasons. They weren't there to try to disprove or approve or have some crazy experience where it will change my life or whatever else. And I liked them. They were nice. And this is all within like a 20 minute conversation. But you read, I read a lot by body language. When they look me in the eye and they talk to me and they feel forthright, 
it's almost like your guard comes down, like a dog. When, it, when you put your hand out, a dog comes up and smells you. Oh, fuck it. You're genuinely interested in the person as opposed to the persona. Exactly. And they were there for the conversation, the people, and the vibe, and it was perfect. Second night, told different story. Same thing goes for paranormal investigations. Yeah. If people get all freaked out, it's maybe because they ain't ready for it yet. Or maybe because their mindset isn't, they haven't seen magic yet. Magic is a good thing. And it's when you find, th- this is the beauty part about you know, looking at things like this. It's you're mirroring and you're trying to find this magic of, you know, who you actually are. And you're trying to mirror what your interpretations are. You're trying to f- understand where you are um, and your mindset. And uh, it's interesting to put it all together. And I, that's why I, I've come back. To, I keep coming back to the term magic because I just can't explain it. And it's like that, be, not the bewilderment, but the amusement. Like when the first time as a kid, you see magic happen. You see David Copperfield do something crazy. You want to believe that he has powers beyond comprehension. And that's yeah. what some of the stuff feels like is because I can't explain it. I can't understand what's going on. It's just something beautiful is happening in front of me. And it's beyond my realm of comprehension. That's magic. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's not Crowley shit. It's not all that kind of magic where it oh, conjures stuff. Oh, fuck Crowley. Power <laughs> bottom of the year. I'm so I'm so sick of fucking hearing about, hearing about Crowley. But oh, it's all good. It's no, just, no, no, I like no, the beauty it, of no, it. That, that's actually a really good point. And, and it actually kind of breaks down to the point of, of what I want to get into regarding what we experienced on Brown Mountain. That first night was just off the fucking charts. It was amazing it was full well, but you also didn't say something that you did you what? had that laser sight and it responded yeah the 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 as in this uh my old roommate mossy he'd be love for me to or love to hear this i've sent to him when someone can't say words right like i do all the time it was a phenomenon no, that's true. The, uh, <laughs> the, the first night they were there, I did pull out the laser pointer, and it switched from the concept of uh, an Estes session method into more of a provoking close encounters of the fifth kind method, which is, if you look into the fucking scale, you know, close encounters, one through five, the fifth kind which is a human-initiated contact interaction with... Um, this was intelligent because it, it was fucking fo- following us. It followed your laser light yeah. through the fog. And yeah. so you, you, you were following it. Shane and I were going back and forth with his uh, night vision scope. And we were watching the laser and then the ball of light or ball of energy following the laser light. I, I kept my eye on the main one, and I was like, okay, all of a sudden. The one that was still up there, okay. Well, no, and no, the ones at the bottom by the river. The very, the very base was the bigger light that barely Oh, so the moved. big light at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. So, I was, so to me, I think about this like chess. You're always trying to capture a queen. And I'm like, all the bishops, knights, and whatever, they can go do their thing. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. And I, the one main that was interacting with everything I just followed that one. I just stayed on it for what the three hours were up there. And it stayed tight. It stayed and never moved. It would it would morph in the sense of the the ball would extrude up, defying gravity, and extrude back down. Oh Jesus. But it Christ, never really man. moved. Like no, seriously. That that one when you mention that, it it actually makes my stomach a little upset because it's it's a little too it's so far off of what I can understand of reality. It was just. That's why I call it magic. 
because it just makes it so fair enough. It gives yeah. it a, it gives it a sense of fun and wonderment because we it's fucking with us so hard. It's like I'm beyond you, motherfuckers, and I'm beyond what you're capable of understanding. And so if it, we have to we have to elevate and understand as rational human beings, this is beyond us, and which I can do. Like, I, I, I can look at all of what we experienced on Brown Mountain and look at it and say, I have no frame of reference for and any that's, of And that's the best part I love that is it's a sense of wonderment. I'm an intelligent man. I've done a lot of things in this world. I'm happy with who I am, whatever else. This is beyond me. Have you gone back and listened to the audio of us? Well, bits of it, yeah. Dude, we're just chatting like twelve-year-old kids. No, you got to listen to the last seven minutes. Last uh, seven minutes. Of oh, it? the last seven minutes that I posted, because all it is is you, me, Megan, Shane, Alan, and everybody else who was up there just constantly going, "Holy shit! What the fuck? Oh my god! What the..." Fuck? Fuck. It just goes on constantly. Yeah. It's, well, it's because we were trying to be quiet when you're doing the SS method. So I didn't no, know you. Were, I didn't know you were still recording. No, 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 no. no, this is beyond the SS method. Okay, this is when I unplug, and here's where it gets really interesting. Okay, so we're going to start tackling into the psychological aspect of this, sure. right? You and I both know what we saw, yet you don't get too excited about it. And you know what? Neither do I. It's to me like what's the best way to interpret this or what I'm what I'm thinking in my mind as listeners are hearing this. I'm not blown away by it because I've seen a lot of shit that uh, people aren't supposed to see, I guess, or people aren't open enough to see. In that sense, I've been fortunate with that. I, I appreciate it. I like seeing all the visuals I get to see. Mm. So to me, I'm not blown away by it. What I'm blown away by is how long it lasted. It was just three straight hours of light show. It was very calm. Like, to me, growing up by the sea, what I felt as if I was looking off, of, because it was a wall, I felt like I was on a boat out in the sea. Like I'm looking out across a vast empty space. I can't see where we're at, but the funny part is the lights felt like a port of coming in. It felt like there's the beacons. There's where we're going into home port. There's what's going on. That's what it reminded me of. Like beacons on buoys out at sea. That's how they looked through the fog. As they were that bright and they were blinking on and off. I mean, that's the visual interpretation I have. But also with the wind moving through the valley from the south to the north, coming through the Limbo Gorge, it, it put in perspective, because we that was our first time up there, first time for all of us, besides Alan, who'd been up there regularly, but we had never seen that valley, and we had never seen that much a dense fog. We could see 20 yards out into it. We'd never seen what we're supposed to be looking at. We looked at a map on it, but we had never seen it. And the next night was perfectly clear. So our interpretation of what we were seeing was that we, as the individuals, were in the fog. It was a good analogy, almost like a Plato's allegory or allegory of the cave. As in, they're looking at the wall of the cave, and they're seeing the interpretations of the shadows behind them, but they're not really seeing the shadows. We're looking at this phenomenon, this magic that's happening in front of us, but we have no context because we're seeing bits and pieces of it through fog, and it's lighting up through the fucking fog. That's how bright it was. B 
beacons of light through fog across a mountain valley where there shouldn't be anything. And it's as bright as a, or it's as bright as a bulb in a dark room. This is all first night. Yeah. First night. All of it. Yeah. Thursday night is when it was. With the three other people we encountered up there, the professor and the two students, but nobody else. God, I wish we would have gotten his name. He was such a delight. He was he was such a great human being. I, I can go look up Appalachian State and I can find him. I mean, I just remember his face. No, p- please do. I would really like to talk with him. But you you were on a roll. Like like what else? Like we're we're talking about the first night. You were talking about my interpretation. The whole goal for this is I want your perception on the time that we spent up there. Like I'm gonna share mine later. Stuff this like is this, all about yours. All this type of stuff puts me at ease. Yeah. A lot of people get nervous about this esoteric. A lot of people get nervous about ghosts and all the. Blah, blah, blah. To me, I don't care what the fuck it is. It's energy. All it is is energy. It's neither. It's an energy form of some sort. And so for me, it's calming. It's I get very calm. I get very. I'm very at ease. It just makes me feel like hmm, life is good because. If, if that's energy that hasn't passed on or if that's energy that has passed on, is that a religious aspect or is that a personal aspect? However you want to interpret it. To me, it just lets me know that there's something beyond. Now, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious man. I'm a spiritual man. Um, so to me, it just helps me understand like, okay, that makes everything that we do every single day. We should be about our values, you know, treat people good, treat everyone with respect, you know, be kind to whoever you can. If someone needs help, give don't them. Don't be a dick. Yeah, don't basically. be, but also, but be, even bigger than that, help out where you can. Be good to people. Open the doors for people because it's karma. It's energy. Like how we are speaking right now, there's good energy. We're talking. It's very, uh, it's very cordial. You know, we're friends, you know, we're happy to be hanging out, having some drinks and shooting the shit. But to me, it's just about the energy you put back into the world. And so when you experience an energy that's far bigger than we are and far more knowing in a sense, because clearly it interpreted us and interacted with us, it knows we're there. Mm-hmm. So I want to be respectful of that. It's kind of like you go to an old graveyard, never walk on the graves, walk around them, walk beside them, but never walk over them because that's disrespectful to the people in them. As a guy that will camp out in a graveyard and cleans up graveyards and does everything for our family. Like I like to be respectful of the dead. And I want to be respectful of those who come before us. Because if we can't be respectful of them, how are we going to be respectful of those after us? And it, But it, this is, that's energy. You're putting energy out there towards it, a good energy. Like you know when someone's got a bad energy. You just avoid them and they're like there's a, a damn rain cloud around them. And you know that their energy is off. It's off balance. It's almost like there's too much static coming off of it. And with Brown Mountain, it wasn't that at all. It was just the mountain's energy. You could feel it. So I got, I got mixed feelings about that. And this is why I wanted this conversation to happen tonight is that it could be a fault line. It could be I something got, seismic. I have mixed feelings about our experience on Brown Mountain. First or second night. You also did exactly. SS both nights. Huh? You did SS method both nights. The first night you were not as emotional. Second, you were. I have also come to the realization as of late that um, I'm I might be uh, a little bit more of an open channel. A uh, bit, yeah. Uh, how about a full bit? Huh? You're a full bit open to yeah. it at all? I think I think that you put yourself out there. Just, well, but d- no, you're you're, you're right. Like, but you're I, a deep uh, empath, 
And so, and that's a good thing. It, that means you it feel is, a lot. It is, but getting the control on it, that that's where it's a challenge. Well, that's but. up to you. It's up to you to whether or not you're going to open to it or, open. hey, I'm an empath as well. <laughs> like, I definitely, I can walk into a room and I can read it. I can feel it. I can see who's what. And I see it on people's faces. I see it in their shoulder. I, I look at shoulders and eyes. That tells me the body language. That was from years of being a bouncer in a big music venue. And so, w- <laughs> buckle up, son. Um, but so what I, what I realized from years ago is like I could read people really fast. I yeah. could read there, but that might be that that might be that emotional statement for that ten minutes. It might be that emotional statement for that day. It's not them as a whole. Yeah. And I think that you also put yourself out there for emotional depth and you're you're yearning for an experience so you're leaving yourself open you know. or you need people around you that say hey john smack in the head that's what i think that's what the second night triggered and i think yeah. and i'll just jump to it so before we get into a long conversation about yeah let's it. do it so our good buddy shane so towards the end of the ss method ss session i guess this was like 11 o'clock or so about this time it's on the second night yeah, yeah on the second night so yeah. we're in there a lot of the tourists had come and gone. You know, people are just passing by. Oh, I'm going to experience oh, something. Blah, blah. Shit. But, I know where you're going. Okay. But Shane took a quick video footage of with his phone, just scanned around, just filming. Hey, you know. And then oh, no. it, when you listen to it on headphones, you can hear a young girl say, look away. And when you hear it say, look away, that's when I did a bunch of research. And I found out about suicides up there. And I think this reminds me that when I was living in San Francisco for a long time, it's what the Golden Gate is. The Golden Gate, on average, is roughly a suicide a day uh, overall. And when the, when this SF Gate did, and the Chronicle did a big write up about the whole about all the suicides up there, literally they found the pole, they found the marker where almost all the suicides happened as one point, and uh, just the amount of bodies jumping over. And I think places like Brown Mountain, the big lookout viewpoint. I think places like the Grand Canyon. Uh, places with big vistas are where a lot of people go to walk away from living. And I think a lot of the energy that beacons people up there is is almost like a golem in a sense where people are drawn to bring the energy in. Exact fucking resonance of the energy that we were feeling the second night. That was not welcoming energy because was the first night that we were there, it was it was very lighthearted. It was very... Please come and play with us type of energy, the the feedback that we were getting. But that second night was a straight up come down here. And there was nothing pleasant about those statements. Well, and I think the second night was also an energy form coming through the Estes and was calling us exactly to a trailhead to come meet with it on the other side of the gorge. Um, So I, to me, I look at stuff like that as, do you imbibe in every single piece of energy that, that comes after you? Do you pay attention to all of it? Or do you also have your own interpretations? Um, I didn't say that correctly. Best way I'm trying to get it, get it out there. Um, it's energy like that is calling on t- to people. It's almost like a dude, like, like a bat, a dude who's got no pickup game walks into a bar. He's trying to hit on a woman and he's like that dude. Hey girl, what you doing? And he's going to hit on a hundred women. One of them is going to say something and say something back. <laughs> so think about that. Think the law of averages. That was the kind of vibe. It was setting out, Hey, come see me, come see me, come see me. And it was as if, okay, if you're, if, if the text is and the words are coming back to us like that, 
it eventually one person's going to go chase it down. Alan was going to be the person to chase it down on the trips if he was there the second night. Um, I look at it like this. There was too many coincidences with that, with the stuff that was coming through the Estes session that was too on point that was calling us to come meet up with it on the other side of the mountain. And it was one of those things where I'm the person that will go confront it. Okay, he wants to come meet you. All right, I'm down. I'm game. But you got nervous about the whole deal. And then at the very end of what, uh, end of the, when you said, oh, I've got to end this session, the girl's I, voice came out. And me and Shane were kind of like, well, if you guys want to leave, we're, t- we're totally fine with that. I mean, I know you guys got a little nervous, a little worried about it. Well, someone was trying to fuck me up that night, to be honest. But like, that's when the girl's voice said, look away. And that's when we heard that voice on the on the phone. And, you know, here. so was she saying, did she jump to her death and was saying, look away? Maybe she saw other people on the platform. Or on there the, are records of that. Yeah. There have been numerous deaths of suicides up there. Um, so I think this place, good, like energy is, um, energy can be good and bad. It's up to the individual what's attracting them. And I think a lot of this stuff is it's up to the individual. And... We go up there as different individuals. We leave there as different individuals. And different individuals is our life, our story, our timeline. How long am I on this plane of existence? Who knows? None of this stuff is for me is as is as prophetic as May of nineteen ninety two when I kind of call I guess most people call him the Slender Man. To me, that was an experience. All this other stuff is just different you know verbs and adjectives from the same book and the same storyline it's all it's all culminated as one big thing and i don't want to make it sound like each one of these does sound pretty damn amazing and cool to see him i feel like i'm john constantine a lot of times i kind of walk in between things and i like the notion that i i've only encountered i encountered one really bad energy spirit one time one time, and this dude was out for t- to kill somebody or kill himself, and this was bad fucking mojo. And I encountered him, and we had to deal with it, and it just it turned violent in the end. And but it was the one time where I'm like, this dude, it's he's not mad at me, he's fighting with himself or something's fighting with him. I've got nothing to do with it. I just encountered him, and I've encountered bad people, you know. Live in the inner city. A lot of times, you come up with a lot of bad shit. But I've encountered bad people. But this was one dude, like clearly bad shit. But a lot of stuff I've encountered that's you know been ethereal, whatever else, has been kind of it's energy. It's all it is, it's just energy of some sort. And it, I look at it like swimming, or like say if you ever go, you go kayaking down a, a boulder-filled river or a river that's got a current. What do you try to do? You try to paddle around the rocks. That's what most of this stuff is. You're paddling around these energy sources that bump into them or they're energy vampires and you want to deflect and move around them easy. This shit gets heavy. I want to thank Ralph again for sharing his experiences with us and also for joining me on the journey up the mountain. Again, be sure to check out Rusty Knuckles. I'll have a few links in the show notes once again and highly suggest you check it out. I also got to say that conversation went on for about another hour and a half. And somewhere down the line, I'll release the whole uncut version of it just for gits and shiggles uh, for those of you who are interested. Now, 
Before we wrap this up, I want to take a few minutes to talk about my own perception and feelings about what we experienced. I am still trying to wrap my head around it, and I don't think I'm ever going to get a satisfactory conclusion from this, but I can tell you I will be heading back to Brown Mountain at least two times this year, hopefully to do this again. Now, the first thing that I want to point out is you've heard us talk about the Estes sessions. You even heard the uh, edited version of the Estes session from night one, and I will be sharing the audio from night two probably here in a few weeks, but uh, I need to sort back through it and do a little editing just for time and content's sake. But after speaking with another paranormal investigator, I am more along the line of thought that that we, we passed Estes session territory and we kind of went into CE five territory. Now, most of you know what that is, but for those of you who don't, J. Allen Hynek, uh, famed UFO investigator and was part of Project Blue Book, he designed the Close Encounter scale. Close Encounters of the first kind, second, third, and so on. Um, his original format only had three different kinds, and in later years, Close Encounters fourth and fifth kind were then added. Uh, fourth is essentially abduction. And fifth is human-initiated contact with UFOs. Now, you got to remember, UFOs can mean a lot of things, not necessarily just flying saucers or Tic Tacs uh, zooming around in the air. And this, this is kind of what we experienced because we ended up interacting with them. Or they interacted with us. We, we reacted to each other. And it was a beautiful and profound experience. But... I can't come to a conclusion as to what those lights really are. I don't think they're aliens. I don't think they're ghosts. I think the closest thing I can compare it to is an elemental. That seems to make the most sense to me uh, for some reason. But again, I'm going to have to do more research, and hopefully go experience them a few more times. Now, the next time we go out there, I'm hoping to have a much larger group of people so we can break off into three groups and head off into different areas. So one on Linville Gorge, one on Table Rock, and then one down in the valley. All of us using lights, lasers, and walkie-talkies in order to communicate with each other and hopefully get closer interaction with them. Now, I don't know if that experiment is going to work, but you better believe it. We are going to try. The other thing that I want to talk about is what happened to me personally being the receiver on both of these nights. So in these sessions, I'm plugged into the spirit box, which is your AM FM transmitter sweeping backwards or forwards through all the radio stations in chronological order. And the idea is that if there is something out there trying to communicate, they might be able to use the static, the noise, all of that is a kind of clay to mold into words or statements. Now, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you, you've you heard it get pretty effective at times. It doesn't always work. And I mean, let's be honest, nine times out of 10, these paranormal investigations are really, really boring. There's a lot of dead space, a lot of, a lot of downtime. <laughs> But what, what really got interesting, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here right now, is that second night, 
um, it affected me deeply. You heard us talking about how the tone completely shifted from night one to night two. Night one was very playful. It was very lighthearted. It wanted to interact with us. And even though it's it's not on the last addendum that I added, there was a, a point in time during the conversation where it asked us to come back, you know, come back tomorrow. And we did. But what happened to us the second night was wildly different and kind of deeply uncomfortable to me. I can't quite explain it, but there's a feeling, like an instinct or, or something inside of me that when, when things shifted, when the tone shifted and it got dark, and it did, um, it affected me physically, mentally, emotionally, and somebody pointed out to me recently that I, I may be flexing some new muscles that I didn't know that I had. There's part of me that could potentially be leaning towards becoming a channeler. Now, that's something that I never really thought about, and it's something that, you know, honestly, I, I would typically roll my eyes at. But now that I am experiencing it firsthand, and the way that it fills me up, it's, it's intense. The best way I can describe it is whenever I go under for these sessions, I try to clear my mind and just become an empty vessel. And eventually things will just start pouring into it, or into me. But as of late, I've started to notice that it overflows. And that's what happened to me on that second night. When things got intense, I curled into a ball and started shaking. Uh, I was having trouble breathing. It was a little frightening. So this is a new experience for me, obviously, and I guess I'm heading into unknown territory here. So as of late, in the last couple of months, and especially after our experience at the Sally House, which I am certainly looking forward to sharing with you all, but it'll be a couple of months before that series airs. There are these whole new elements to my consciousness that are now opening up, and um, it kind of short-circuits my brain a little bit. It's equal parts exhilarating and horrifying at times. I'm eager to see where this journey is going to go, but I'm definitely going to have to take some time to learn how to control myself and um, control the energies that are around me. So, yeah, I guess that is my that is my brief blurb about what we experienced there. And I will talk more about this eventually at some point in time, but to be honest, I'm I'm kind of ready just to wrap this series up and move on to something else. So, in conclusion, I have no fucking clue what those things are, but I'm really eager to get back out there and find out. And next time I go, I want to see if the same thing happens. I'm gonna, I want to stay longer. And like I said, with a larger group of people, you know, spend a few days up there and see what we can connect with and see what talks back to us. There, is, there are equal parts light and dark energy in that gorge, and I was touched by both of them. And so when somebody asks me about 
you know, what, what is your overall takeaway? I tell them equal parts, beautiful and scary as hell. So obviously we will come back and revisit this somewhere along the lines, but for now, for now, we're going to wrap this up and that's all folks. So be sure to join us next week when we actually do wrap this whole series up uh, with Micah Hanks coming to offer uh, way more insight that I was I could have ever asked for. I'm really looking forward to sharing that episode with you. Thank you all, as always, for joining us. If you like what we do here, please take a moment, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. And we don't have a budget for advertising yet, so if you have family members, friends, hell, even co-workers who enjoy this kind of stuff, please tell them about us. We thrive off of word of mouth right now, and it's going to be that way for a while. So it's important to reach out to you, the listener, and the community to help get us out there. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and everywhere else as xvplanus, and feel free to email us at xvplanus at gmail.com. Oh, and also, many of you have reached out to me regarding the music and sound design of the show. The soundtrack for Season 1 is now streaming everywhere, and I do mean everywhere, under my musical moniker Folds and Floods. It's called XV Planus Original Music from Season 1. You can find it wherever you listen to your music. I will also have a few links in the notes for that as well, in case you want some creepy, heavy, and sometimes batshit crazy music good for long night drives and chasing ghosts, cryptids, and UFOs. Good night, dear friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And be sure to join us next week as we finally wrap up Brown Mountain Lights with Micah Hanks.